0: Welcome back to another episode of Thoughts and Meditations on Christianity. Last time we took a look at the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Today we delve into a trio of doctrines surrounding our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Doctrine number three, Jesus lived a perfect life, was crucified on the cross, and was resurrected from the dead. The central figure of our faith as Christians is, of course, Jesus Christ. Without Christ, there is no Christianity, the name says it all, but there are numerous beliefs concerning the person of Jesus that have been and are continuing to circulate in our world, including and unfortunately in professing bodies of believers. This blog series is intended to list and explain what a professing Christian must believe in order to be an actual Christian. There have been many professing Christians throughout the history of Christianity that were in fact heretics in disguise, shrouding themselves in half-truths. The first century was no exception. Many of the apostles, such as the apostle John, spent much of their time defending the faith from Gnostic notions of a Jesus revealed not by Scripture. There was a disconnect between what they believed about Jesus and how they perceived their own right standing before God. And 2,000 years later, The story has not changed all that much. What we believe about Jesus is of paramount importance to our salvation. Today we will cover the three things that we must believe Jesus did to accomplish our salvation. First, we must believe that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. Why must we believe this? Because if the opposite is true, if Jesus did in fact sin, then his death and sacrifice would have been meaningless, his crucifixion would have been for naught. Nicholas Botzig, in an article published in Table Talk magazine, had this to say Quote, In a life that spanned three decades, our Lord never entertained a thought, never uttered a word, and never carried out an action that was defiled by impure motives. He always honored his Father in heaven, always honored his earthly Father and Mother, never lusted, never uttered a word in sinful anger, never gossiped about or slandered his neighbor. He never stole, never lied, and never coveted. In short, he submitted to every commandment of the law of God without wavering. He loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself. The scriptures bear manifold witness to this truth, and it is one of the most profitable truths upon which we ought to meditate." Quote. So what made this perfection possible and attainable? Scripture gives us two insights both centered on the two natures of Christ. First, Jesus was God. This is an essential belief all in itself, which we will cover later in this series. Jesus was God in the flesh, the Incarnate One. Because of his oneness with the Father, it was impossible for him to sin in his divine nature, as James attests to in his letter, writing, quote, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. James one thirteen. But on top of this, his human nature was also able to abstain from sinning because of the circumstances surrounding his birth. Because he did not physically descend from Joseph, he was not born with sin. This made Jesus the only human being ever to not be born into sin. Original sin had no hold on him. He was not, quote, in Adam, first Corinthians fifteen twenty two. The temptation that Jesus faced came from outside of him unlike the temptations that we face that both come from outside but also from within. Because of Jesus' perfect, righteous life, his sacrificial death actually meant something. Check out the show notes for some scriptural references to Christ's sinlessness. Secondly, we must believe that Jesus died on the cross. At this point, I need to stress what I mean by believe. I am not merely suggesting academic assent to a series of facts. What do I mean by this? I mean that academic belief in theological doctrines does nothing for the salvation of an individual. One can believe that Jesus lived the perfect life, died and then rose again and not be saved. Satan believes all these things, and so do all the fallen angels. Again, James writes, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, James 2.19. One can believe in a collection of truths but not truly believe in them. To truly submit to these truths is another matter entirely. Having saving faith in the ramifications of these truths is what truly matters. What we believe about Jesus is important, don't misunderstand me, but what we do with those truths is of eternal significance. Now that that has been said, we must believe that Jesus died on the cross. Why must we believe this? Well, it is perhaps the most well-known truth of Christianity in the world, it is by his death that we are saved. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, without his death, there is no atonement for sins. As the writer of Hebrews wrote, therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Hebrews 9:15. Paul echoes this in his letter to the church in Rome when he writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Romans three twenty-three through 25 So in all this, while it should go without saying, as a professing Christian, we must believe that Jesus died on the cross. Again, this should go without saying, but As we'll see with our final doctrine for today, secularism and modernity creep even within the steeple doors. Finally, we must believe that Jesus rose physically from the dead. For centuries, people have been trying to make sense of this in light of their own scientific presuppositions. In a special run by the UK's The Independent, Richard Dawkins, the staunchest secularist and militant atheist of our day and perhaps all time, was quoted as saying in response to a question about the resurrection. Quote, Presumably what happened to Jesus was what happens to all of us when we die. We decompose. Accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. End quote. I could probably spend months of writing picking apart this statement and its many problems and inaccuracies, but I'll direct you to some books in the show notes on the resurrection. Even sects of professing Christians today, most notably Jehovah's Witnesses, deny a bodily resurrection in favor of a more quote, spiritual resurrection. And you want to hear something even more alarming. A research study in 2000 found that 30% of, quote, born-again Christians did not believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. Remember, these are self-proclaimed born-again Christians who are believing this. And undoubtedly, as the world has become more and more secular in the past 17 years, this number is most definitely higher than it was in 2000. But what's the big deal here? Why is believing in the bodily resurrection of Jesus so important? Why is it considered an essential belief of the Christian faith? Well, for starters, Paul had this to say. In 1 Corinthians 15, he wrote, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15:13 through 17 and 19. So what's Paul saying here? If the resurrection didn't happen, then Christianity isn't true, and we're still under the penalty for our sins. Two other things are of interest here. First, if we didn't know the author, some of what Paul wrote here could easily be attributed to a militant atheist's rebuke of the Christian faith's validity. Your preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, your faith is futile, you're a people most to be pitied. And secondly, it should be noted that Paul does not say that Christianity not being true would mean that God does not exist, but rather that Christ was not who he said he was. And in fact, we are in a worse state living in a godless universe. We are in fact under the wrath of a holy and righteous God without a mediator. The resurrection is so important because it validates everything that Jesus claimed, especially his claim of deity. He would in fact have been a liar, an imposter, or a fake had the resurrection not taken place. His disciples would have been frauds. Paul would be a deceptive demon these are just some of the negative implications for not believing in the resurrection but what about the positive implications for believing in it well for starters it proved that Jesus was indeed the Son of God it proved that he was indeed the God-man come to take away our sins it validated his substitutionary act upon the cross it proved that he wasn't just another dissident nailed by the Romans to a cross it proved that he was the Messiah the anointed one. Through his resurrection, he defeated the powers of death, hell, and Satan. He not only took away the penalty of sin on the cross, but the power of sin through his resurrection. Jesus' words are shown to be true. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. John 11, 25, and 26 plain and simple professing Christians must believe that Jesus the man rose from the dead by it all of Christianity is proven true you can't have the crucifixion without the resurrection and truly be a believer the third doctrine in the series stated that one must believe that Jesus lived a sinless life was crucified and rose from the dead all three of these must be believed in they are inseparable doctrines But as I said earlier, mere belief in these events does not save. It is by faith in the works of Jesus, as we saw last week, that we are saved. Again, Satan believes in all three of these, but is himself not saved. John Piper sums this up well when he said, "...being persuaded with the mind that something is true is not the same as apprehending the beauty and worth of the truth." And without that, our conviction may be no more than the devil's useless assurance that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Even he believes that, but he does not see it as beautiful and precious and wonderfully suited to accomplish good and holy purposes. Knowledge of what we've talked about today will not save. But rest assured, saving faith in these three works of Christ will this is without doubt. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can check me out on Twitter at 27 underscore Brett underscore 91. Next week, we will look at the exclusivity of the Christian gospel, most notably Jesus' saying in John fourteen six.